Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it's Mark. And I'm Charity. And welcome to the Case Watch Podcast. Case Watch deals with content meant for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case Confirming the body found in Grand Teton National Park is Gabby Petito, and she was killed. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder. Late today, Chris Watts was officially charged with the murders of his wife and his two young girls. Remember these words. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. It is Christmas time, guys. Are you excited? I'm excited. Merry Christmas to all our crime creeps. Merry Christmas, crime creeps. So in honor of Christmas, Charity prepared a whole Christmas episode just for you guys. I did, Mark. And also something else I think we need to mention is that we are recording in the morning right now. We never record in the morning. So if our voices sound a little different, that could be why. You're getting to hear the, the raw morning voice because I am leaving for Detroit again. Again. He's leaving me, guys. I know. I wasn't supposed to. I was supposed to be back and, well, unfortunately, work calls. Yep. But there is one thing that we can always count on, and that is Triple D. All right, Charity, will you grace us with some Triple Ds? I will, Mark. And actually, I did some extra Triple Ds because it's, I'm like, it's the giving season. You have to. And you got to give the people what they want. You have to give the people what they want. 
Excellent. Police in Anchorage, Alaska, spent a good amount of August searching for a man in a fairly realistic bear costume who was caught harassing several actual bears in Chilkoot River. That's not fair. I love it, though. That reminds me of Super Troopers where he dresses up in the bear costume and they have all the people calling the police. I love that. That's that's awesome. Cool. Why would you do that to the bears? I don't think that was his intention. I just think he was out to have some fun. All right, well, let's see. This is not the first time we've encountered a man in a bear suit. (laughs) Oh, boy. Fish and Game spokeswoman Megan Peters told the Associate Press, though the experience apparently did not help them make an arrest, so he's still at large. Oh, boy. I love that. That's a good one. Here's another. In August of 1995, a man in Berlin decided to rob a bank with a handgun. This acted like a pretty standard bank robbery until the tellers asked him, do you need a bag? To which the man responded, you damn right it's a real gun. This made it obviously clear to tellers that the robber was deaf. With this new realization, they sounded the alarm, which notified the police while the man was none the wiser. In a funny twist, Mark, the bank robber sued the bank for apparently abusing his disability. I wonder if he won. <laughs> I didn't find anything on that, but come on. Dude, That's you great, ro- though. You robbed a bank. You can't sue the bank. You'd be surprised. There's been, there was a lot of cases back in the 90s where burglars would break into someone's house, hurt themselves, and then sue the homeowner and win. Yeah, I know that. But like this is, I mean, you know what? Nothing surprises me at this point, seriously. I know, right? It's hard to imagine any good excuses for getting into a super high-speed police chase, but this is an especially bad one. The police in Eckhart County, Indiana, tried to pull over a 25-year-old man from Minneapolis when they spotted him in his red Ford Mustang doing 120 miles an hour in a 70-mile-an-hour zone. The man kept going and got into a 25-mile chase with the cops. When he finally stopped, his excuse was he thought the cops wanted to drag race. Yeah, buddy. He was arrested on several charges, including reckless driving and resisting arrest. I mean, they were just putting the uh, the lights and siren on for a good show. Yeah, they wanted to <laughs> race him, Mark. I love it. I mean, whatever. It was an effort. I won't say an A for effort, but it was an effort. Hey, here you go, buddy. That's what I think about your effort. I think the same thing, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a threesome is only as good as its weakest participant. Mark, you'll like this one. I'm all game. Let's hear. I'm listening. There's a 47-year-old man named Michael Charles in Duncan, South Carolina. He lives with a 47-year-old woman named Michelle Fleming. They describe their relationship as, quote unquote, roommates with benefits. They invited a 40-year-old guy named Brian Eldon over to hang out and, quote, fulfill a sexual fantasy by having a threesome with them. But according to the police report, things went bad when Brian had a, quote, inability to perform. Oh, no. Yeah. He and Michael got into an argument and wound up getting into a brawl. It spilled into the backyard and Michael hit Brian in the back of the head with a stone. Brian needed 12 stitches. I bet they didn't have a sword fight since one couldn't perform. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. It goes on to say, come on, man. He needs that blood flow elsewhere. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I like it. I was dying when I read that. Okay. Here's the last one, guys. Cascade Township, Michigan, had been dealing with a serial flasher for almost a decade. This guy would expose himself on people's back porches or in front of businesses, knock on the window, then start, you know, going to town on himself. Oh, inappropriate. Yeah. Somehow the cops were never able to catch him until he finally slipped up. He started targeting one specific woman. She had security cameras, which helped the cops get (laughs) his license plate. They were finally able to arrest Stephen Pastor. He confessed to all the flashing that's been going on since 2003. 
Oh, wow. That means he started when he was in his mid-30s. He's been charged with indecent exposure as a sexually delinquent person, and he will be in prison until it's determined he is no longer a threat. What a douchebag. Yeah, but like Raina Terra, man, he went on for a decade. Yeah, that is something else we right there. We kind like, in the police's defense, Mark, I'm sure there were other things that were at a higher urgency for them to attend to than a flashing guy, even though that's disgusting and inappropriate. I agree, but that's top of the list in my eyes, just because what happens if my kid opens their shade and sees this? I, <laughs> I can't even imagine, like, you open the shades, it's morning time, you're having your coffee, and this dude's on your front porch. I'm a weird dude. Like, Charity, you know this. Mark's weird. But- This has never been anything that's been in my mind. Where does somebody wake up one day and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go flash my junk for somebody through their window. Because they're going to love it. Yeah. They're going to be so excited to see it. I just don't get it. There's some things that people like. That's not one that the rest of the world does, buddy. (laughs) Totally agreed. (laughs) All right, Charity. I am super excited to find out what you have prepared for us with your Christmas classics. Classic murders. I'm excited. Let's go. Okie doke. So Mark, the first case we're going to be talking about is the Covina massacre, quote unquote, the Santa gunman. Okay. This is really sad. I mean, they're all really sad, but this one is, is particularly sad. This took place on December 24th, 2008 at a Christmas Eve party at a home in Covina, a suburb of Los Angeles, California. This would be the home of Alicia and Joseph Ortega. Quote, unquote, Papa Joe is what they called him, his grandkids. Oh, man. The married couple of 53 years had a nice Christmas Eve dinner with their children and grandchildren. As the night went on, the family decided to play a late night game of Texas Hold'em. So they had their dinner. They finished up. They decided, hey, let's hang out and play a nice game together as a family. And there was also friends there, too. There was actually quite a bit of people there. While the adults were enjoying their card games, some of their grandchildren were playing video games and others were hanging out in the backyard by their pool. Michael, their 17-year-old grandson, was on the second floor, news deep in the computer, as many 17-year-olds are. You know, they like to play on the computer, maybe a game, whatever. There was someone missing from the festive party, though. This was 45-year-old Bruce Jeffrey Pardo. Pardo was the ex-husband to Sylvia Ortigo Pardo, and the homeowners were his ex-in-laws. Apparently, Sylvia and Jeffrey had only been married one short year and settled their divorce just the week before this party. Let's get into the violence. Okay. At about 11.30 p.m., there was a knock at the front door of the house containing 25 to 30 people. So there was a good amount of people at this party. Upon the knock was the little voice of the couple's eight-year-old granddaughter yelling, Santa, Santa. Can oh you, boy. Can you imagine? The person knocking on the door was Pardo. He was dressed in a full Santa suit and had a handgun in one hand and a wrapped Christmas gift in the other. What was this gift, you ask? Well, it was a homemade flamethrower. Oh my God. Yeah. Pardo also had three more guns on him, just for good measure, you know. Can't have enough guns. The door was open and the little girl started running towards quote unquote Santa. She was immediately shot in the face. Everyone obviously became panicked and tried to flee, but more than one of the guns were being used to execute the partygoers. The Ortigas and three of their daughters, one being Pardo's ex-wife, would huddle together hiding under the dining room table. Can you imagine the horror? This is a joyous occasion. Your family and friends are over. You're having a wonderful time. Yeah, this is a nightmare. It's horrible. This effort didn't work as the couple and their four children and two daughter-in-laws would be killed. Michael, the 17-year-old that was on the computer, would also be killed. Many of the adults at the party were near the front door during this time because they were about to leave. So they were kind of putting their jackets on. So they kind of had moved to the front 
Yeah, so they're getting ready, and this guy just had them lined right up. Exactly. Many of these adults, though, recognize this evil Santa right away. According to some of the surviving relatives, Charles Ortega, one of the sons, recognized him right after he shot and wounded his eight-year-old niece. He would be heard screaming, it's Bruce. Oh, my God. I can't, this is, I literally have anxiety reading this. I don't blame you. Because I've been to many, many Christmas Eve get-togethers when there's just, it's all about the joy, right? Supposed to be. This is the last thing that's on your mind exactly. that would ever happen. Exactly. A first cousin was quoted saying about the Ortega sons, even bloodied, they got up, they stood up, they tried to grab him to stop him, but they couldn't. After Pardo was satisfied with his shootings, he would unwrap the present he brought along. Remember the homemade flamethrower? Oh, I forgot about that. Once it was out in the open, he would begin spraying racing fuel gasoline so that he could set the house on fire and hopefully kill more people. A guest of the party was able to sneak out of the house and run to a neighbor's home to call for help. It was said that there were flames 50 to 80 feet tall and it would take 80 firefighters to finally put this massive fire out. This freaking douchebag. Like, can you imagine? No, not I can't even he, believe. I've never even heard of this. No, not only does he shoot up a family that's just enjoying their Christmas Eve, he decides that's not enough. I'm going to destroy their entire home and whoever's in it. Wow. Oh, bad. There was nine people killed in total and three injured. The eight-year-old girl that was shot in the face did survive. There was a 20-year-old woman that broke her ankle jumping out of a window to save her life and a 16-year-old girl shot and wounded in the back. Dental records had to be used to identify the deceased because of the fire. Pardo would flee the crime, take off his Santa suit and put his regular clothes back on. Police would later be able to piece together the plan he had put into place. Would you like to know what that plan was? Yeah, I think I need to know. Yeah. Other than being a total douchebag. Yep. He had bought a plane ticket to Air Canada. It was later discovered the flight was from Los Angeles to Moline, Illinois, with a layover in Minnesota. Pardo had called a high school friend days before the attack to tell him he was going to visit as he had in the past. It's unknown if he was really going to visit or if this was an attempt to like throw off the investigators instead. So this was very thought out beforehand. Oh, yeah. And planned. That makes it even worse. Exactly. With badly burned arms from his own doing, Pardo would drive 30 miles to his brother's house. His brother wasn't home at the time, but Pardo's dead body would later be found with $17,000 strapped to his legs and in a girdle with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So he bought a girdle to wear to keep this money in. Yeah. Why did he change his mind now and decide to off himself? I wonder what changed. I mean, maybe he obviously felt guilty and he did have those really bad burns on his arm. Yeah, I, don't I, don't think, bad. I don't think guilt had anything to do with it. He wouldn't have done this if that was the case. He put way too much forethought and planning into this to just decide that this was too much for him and he had to kill himself. I don't know. I don't Who knows either. these people, but yet another one of these losers that did all this damage and then said, I'm just going to off myself. You should have off yourself before. Yeah. Save everybody the hassle and save everybody the heartbreak. Exactly. Unbelievable. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So in June of 2008, Pardo was ordered to pay $1,785 in spousal support a month to his ex-wife. He even told a friend that Sylvia was, quote unquote, taking him to the cleaners. It's speculated that the divorce also led to Pardo being fired from his job. In the aftermath, it was also made known that he had planned to kill his own mother because she showed sympathy for Sylvia through the divorce. Wow. What a a nice guy. No, not at all. But listen to this. Pardo had no criminal history at all and had never been violent before. That's surprising to me. Yeah. For these reasons, police think it was the marital problems that fueled this horrible massacre. I mean, I guess people can flip a switch, right? I don't know. This is, that's, I don't know. That's a, that's a. That's a long road to hoe to me to change, to go to something that extreme. Right. And they didn't have kids together. They had only been married a year. So it's not like it was like a 30-year-old marriage that broke up and it was this horrible, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't take as much into it as you do with that because even the six-month relationship could be something massive to somebody. You can't judge a book by its cover with somebody in the relationship and how they handle things. You're 100% right. But wow, to never be a violent person in your life to... Instantly opening the door and shooting a four-year-old in the face. Like, wow. And make your own flamethrower. Yeah, we can't forget the flamethrower. That's kind of a a step too far. Right. It's not like he went out and bought it. He actually made it himself. That's a lot of effort. Anyways, to finish this off, I want to give a list of the poor people that lost their lives, Mark. Okay. First off, we have Sylvia Ortega, Pardo, Pardo's ex-wife. Okay. Then we have Alicia Ortega, Sylvia's mother. Joseph Ortega, Sylvia's father. Charles Ortega, Sylvia's brother. Sherry Ortega, Charles' wife. James Ortega, Sylvia's brother. Teresa Ortega, James' wife. Alicia Ortega, Ortiz, Sylvia's sister. And Michael Ortiz, Alicia's son. This is a whole family. Yeah, that is, wow. An extended family. That is one whole family gone. That is unbelievable. Christmas will never be the same for these people that have survived. God, no. So, so sad. I can't even, I don't know, that one, they all got me, but that one was really sad. That is sad. Next, 
we have the Carnation Massacre. It was December 24th, 2007. Wayne and Judy Anderson invited all their children over to their home in Carnation, Washington to celebrate the holiday together that Christmas Eve. From the outside in, this appeared to be a very close-knit family. But behind closed doors, there were some things going on. We will get into that later. It would be around 4 p.m. when Michelle Anderson and her boyfriend, Joseph McEnroe, would drive about 200 yards from their trailer to Michelle's parents' little white house. So they literally got in their car to drive the 200 yards. I would have done the same thing. (laughs) These two would be armed with guns they had bought at a pawn shop earlier that summer. Sounds like intent to me. Yeah. Once inside her family's home, they seemed to be on a mission. Joseph would go distract Judy, who was in the back room wrapping gifts for her grandchildren. Such a sweet grandmother. She was getting ready for the next day. So sad. Michelle would go off to find her dad, Wayne. As soon as she located him, she would simply raise her gun and shoot him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Merry Christmas. This would be. Wow. Yeah, right. This would be in the kitchen. Wayne was tending to the dinner they were all going to enjoy. Joseph and Judy would obviously run in as soon as they heard the loud bang. I guess Michelle's gun would jam, though, during the first shot. So guess what? Joseph stepped up and killed Wayne. What a nice boyfriend. Wow. Yeah. Poor Judy, of course, began to scream as she just watched her husband being shot. Joseph would simply turn towards Judy, apologize to her, then shoot her in the face. Uh. Yeah. He apologized. He said, sorry. Like, basically, sorry that I killed your husband and I'm going to shoot you in the face now. Wow. Yeah. To clean up the mess before the rest of the family arrived so they could ambush them, the couple would drag the bodies of Michelle's parents out back and put them in a shed. Their next task was to clean up all the blood. They would use blankets and towels, burning them after in a fire pit in the yard. It was also said that they spent an entire hour mopping the floors to remove any traces of the murders. So again, this was thought out. Yeah, they put a lot of thought into this just so they could ambush the rest of the family, you said too. Yeah, so this was back all the way in the summer when they even thought to buy the guns. Yeah. Ugh. Now they would wait for Scott Anderson and his family to arrive. They were traveling to the family Christmas Eve dinner from Black Diamond. As soon as Scott arrived with his wife, Erica, and their two small children, five-year-old Olivia and three-year-old Nathan. Scott would be confronted by Michelle immediately. When he saw that she was holding a gun, he would run towards her trying to protect his family. So he like charged her. Oh, yeah. Because he was like, holy crap, she's got a gun. I need to protect my family. So Michelle would later tell police that she shot him up to four times and then turned her gun on Erica. She shot Erica twice before the woman was able to drag herself to the phone and dial 911. She was only able to say, not the kids before the call was disconnected. And then she was shot by both Michelle and Joseph. So this woman tried to save her kid's life by dragging her shot up body as she was dying to the phone to dial 911. Unbelievable. Yep. These little kids watched both of their parents being murdered and then the gun was turned on them. Okay. Yep. Joseph would shoot Olivia and Nathan. The couple later said though, Mark, that they murdered the children because they didn't want them to be scarred for life. What nice people. Wow. These are scumbags. Maybe not. Maybe don't kill your, their parents in front of them. I have so many questions, but I don't know if you're going to get to them. So I'm going to wait till the end. Yeah. The entire family was shot in the head or the face. 14 rounds would be fired. After killing her family, Michelle would walk down the driveway and lock the gate that was there. A police cruiser actually came up later to follow up on the 911 call. But the two officers left as soon as they realized the gate was locked. Oh, huh, yeah. 
Okay, something's not right there. Yeah, the King's County Sheriff's Office launched an internal investigation to find out why the officers left without checking the home. I mean, yeah, hello, you don't just pull up. There was a 911 call. There were dead people inside the home. There was a 911 call. Oh, the gate's locked. Everything's fine. Exactly. Yeah, that does not add up. So Judy, the mom, worked at the local post office and she was scheduled to work the day after Christmas. She obviously didn't show up for work. Then this wasn't like her at all. We hear this a lot. So oh, yeah. The coworkers. So one of her coworkers and good friends, Linda, was so concerned she would leave work and drive to Judy's house to check on her around 8 a.m. When Linda pulled up to the driveway and saw the gate was locked, guess what she did, Mark? Don't tell me she turned around and left too. No, she simply got out of her car and walked around the gate to the freaking front door, which is what the police should have done. I agree. I'm very upset when you told me that. I don't understand that. I don't get it. I mean, I guess they probably show up to a lot of like accidental 911 calls, but you can't, something like this could have happened. So you just don't ever know. Oh yeah. This does not add up to me. No. After knocking and getting no response, Linda would realize the door was unlocked. So she let herself in. She quickly saw the bodies of Scott and Erica and little Nathan. Oh boy. Yeah. I guess little Olivia was underneath her mom's body. So (sighs) to me, it sounds like the mom's trying trying to protect her. Oh my God. She would call 911 right away and say, the gate is locked, which makes me wonder if her daughter did it because I might be up here with a murderer. So she right away went to the daughter. Oh, yeah. That's interesting to me. There's a dynamic that we're not aware of at this point. Yeah, the mother must have vented to her or so. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Michelle and Joseph would soon arrive with a rehearsed story. They told police that they planned to drive to Vegas to get married, but got lost and just decided to return home. The couple never asked if the family was okay or why the police were even there. This was very suspicious to investigators. Yeah. Yeah. When asked by a detective why she thought the police were at her parents' house, Michelle would break and say, it's not Joe's fault. It's all my fault. Interesting, right? Interesting. Yes. Interesting. What was the reason for these horrible murders? I've been asking myself that since you started this, so I'm, I want to hear. To me, it's not a good reason, but okay. Michelle told police that her brother borrowed $40,000 from her and it was never repaid. The siblings' relationship would take a turn for the worse when Scott married his wife, Erica. To add to this, Michelle was very angry with her parents because they were starting to put pressure on her or she and her boyfriend to pay rent for the trailer they lived in on her parents' carnation property. I'm sorry. Shouldn't they have been doing that anyways? Yeah, they should have been helping the parents out because, you know, they gave them life. They gave them a place to live. Come on now. She was pissed because the brother supposedly owed her $40,000. I don't know if that's even true because that's a lot of money. Who knows? That's hearsay at this point. And they were living on that land for free. So come on now. Something's not adding up here, guys. Michelle even told police, I was tired of everyone stepping on me. I guess therefore she had to kill the mark. Yeah. What a pathetic excuse for a person. And this is what I don't get to. And we hear this a lot when it's like couples doing this. How did she convince the boyfriend It's like you. Or did he convince her? We don't know. I don't know. He could have been in her ear going, hey, these people would be better off out of our way. We'll never know that part. Yeah, 100%. How do do we always seem that psychos find each other? It's like magnets. Oh, yeah. They walk down the street and it's just like, oh, like-minded psycho. Yeah. But it's time and time again we see it. Mark, is that how we found each other? We're not killing people and we're not a couple. That's true. We're kind of, we're a crime creep couple. We're crime creepers. We're crime creepers. The one family member that wasn't at the family's house was Mary, Michelle's sister. She, thank God, wasn't feeling good on that day and told her parents she was going to have to skip that Christmas Eve party. Thank God. Ugh. This would be the only reason she was still alive. Mark Bennett is a friend to the family, and this is what he had to say. Michelle had been estranged from the family members, including her sister Mary, over the past few months. 
Mary had fears about her, not just that she thought she was crazy, but based on her antisocial behavior, Bennett went on to say. Michelle wouldn't return phone calls. Looking back, it seems something had to be in the air for some time. So that's what the family friend had to say. Yeah, I have so many unanswered questions in my head. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know if we'll ever really get them. Former neighbors have said that Michelle and Joseph blacked out their windows, talked about people out to get them, and they seemed very paranoid. Oh, righty. So something was going on. I don't know if they were doing drugs or if they just got themselves all worked up because it sounds like this was kind of a very obscure area. There weren't like a lot of people around. They owned a lot of land, these parents. Yeah, there's a lot going on here that we're never going to unpack unless they start opening their mouths. And I highly doubt they're going to. Exactly. Michelle had quoted saying this during a phone interview. I'm a different kind of person. Life in prison is not enough punishment for me. I want the most severe punishment, which would be the death penalty. I want to waive my trial. This was reported by Natalie Singer from the Seattle Times. So she wanted the death penalty. Of course, because she wants the easy way out. I'm sorry, killing yourself or being killed, you're not going to have to spend the rest of your life in prison thinking about this every day. For somebody like this who killed her entire family, the best punishment is to have to sit there every single day and think about what she did. I agree 100%. And from what I read, Joseph, his defense was all on her. It was her fault. She convinced him. She got in his head. You know, it was all on her. There's no way in H-E double hockey sticks somebody would ever convince me to kill somebody. He killed two children, Mark. I know. In the face. Shot them in the face after they watched their parents die. He was the one who actually pulled the trigger. Remember that? Yeah, there's nobody that's going to convince me of that. She actually, Michelle didn't actually pull the trigger too many times. I mean, she pulled it on her brother and her her sister-in-law. That's too many more that she should have. No, I agree. But what I'm saying is Joseph was the one who freaking pulled the trigger on everybody else, including the children. How can you? I don't know. I'm I'm rambling. He's a grade A scumbag. That's for sure. Yes, he is. Michelle was convicted of six counts of aggravated first-degree murder, and she'll spend the rest of her life in jail. Good. Good. Right where she belongs. Yep. Joseph was also convicted of six counts of aggravated murder and will spend the rest of his life in jail. Good. Right where they belong. It really makes me think now as to something you said, that they blacked out their windows. Maybe drugs was an issue with this, and now that they've had time to be in jail, now their mind is cleared up, and it really makes them go like, oh, what did I do? It's very possible. And you're right. If you finally kind of wake up in a clarity and realize you murdered your entire family that you once were super close to and loved, you do want to die. Yeah. But I honestly think the best punishment is to have to sit and think about it every day. I agree. Scumbags. Scumbags. All right. Before we move on to the final Christmas classic, I want to go ahead and remind everybody that you can follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Case Watch Podcast, Twitter, Case Watch Pod, text and voicemail line 603-212-4600, email info at casewatchpodcast.com. .com. So guys, let us know your Christmas classic that maybe you have discovered. We don't see all the cases. If you have a good one that you have heard that we haven't, send it to us. I'd love to hear them. Me too. All right, Charity, let's take off with the last one. Okay, the last one is Ronald Gene Simmons. So Ronald Gene Simmons was a retired Air Force sergeant. He was born July 15th, 1940 and died June 25th, 1990. Simmons would meet Becky Elabari and they would get married in 1960 in New Mexico. Simmons would go into the Air Force a few years later. So another one going into the military. Yep. The couple would go on to have seven children in total. Simmons gathered many awards during his military service before he retired in 1979. One of these awards, Mark, was even for excellent marksmanship. Oh boy, this scares me now. Yikes. 
I guess this family wasn't as functional as people may have thought. In 1981, Simmons was accused of molesting his 17-year-old daughter and even getting her pregnant with his child. Oh, wow. Amazing, right? Yeah. So instead of facing the uh, Mexico Human Services, what do they do? They just take off and relocate. Took his whole family and moved. Huh. The family would find themselves in Arkansas on a large piece of land called Mockingbird Hill in Dover. Nobody followed up and just decided to, oh, no, let's check him out in this new area. No, because they left. It was out of jurisdiction. Yeah, that should be something that was passed along, though. I agree. So clearly it was true. If you're running, dude. Yeah, if you're running and hiding and relocating to a different area, there's something going on here. Exactly. This was an extremely remote area, and Simmons' parenting style was very strict and angry and even described as harsh. So he doesn't sound like the greatest dude. No, not at all. Like you're you're getting your own daughter pregnant and you're just angry all the time and harsh. And I don't know, it doesn't sound like someone I would want to live with. He is known for killing 16 people Christmas of 1987. Oh, wow. 14 of those killed, Mark, were Simmons family members. And there was also four others that were injured. So 14 wow. of the people that he murdered were his own family. I just don't get it. I don't get it either. Do you think maybe with the holidays, it's more emotion comes out and maybe that's why- They're this- stressful, but come on now. I know. I've never once thought of something just, like this. I'm just trying to think of why it's so like personal. Sometimes you just can't explain it. And you know what? I guess we're trying to make sense out of senseless, so- Yeah, we're not crazy, so we can't make sense of crazy. True. December 28th, 1987, Simmons would enter a law firm and shoot the receptionist. His next stop on this rampage would be an oil company and then a convenience store. He would also shoot up his former place of employment. This would be the Woodline Motor Freight. At the end of this only 45-minute shooting frenzy, there would be two people dead and four more injured. Joyce Butts would be his final fatal victim at the Woodline Motor Freight. At this time, Simmons would surrender to a secretary and say, I've gotten everyone who wanted to hurt me. He then waited for the police and surrendered peacefully. Huh. Yeah, ha, that's what I said. That's strange. People that wanted to hurt me. That has me having questions. Clearly, he had some cuckoo-ness going on. Yeah, I think so. Like, people who wanted to hurt me, did someone at the convenience store say something to you that hurt your feelings? Like, no, you can't have that pack of butts? I don't know. This is strange for sure. If these 45 minutes of terror weren't bad enough, police would soon find out Simmons had committed the most horrific of crimes days before. Shall we get in? I think we need to. The first killing spree would be in the morning of December 22nd, 1987. Simmons would first kill his wife, Becky, who had suffered for many years with this man. And then he would kill his son, Gene. Both mother and son would be shot with a gun in their Dover home. Lovely, right? Oh, man, this guy's a scumbag. Nice start. Next, he would strangle his three-year-old granddaughter to death. Wow. You're strangling your three-year-old granddaughter. What goes through somebody's mind to even think of this? This guy is obviously crazy. I don't know, but that we've talked about this before. Strangling is so personal. You're on top of the person and you're to watch the life out of your own granddaughter. Oh, my God. And movies make it seem like it happens right away. No. In real life, this is a process that takes quite a while. Yep. All their bodies would be placed in four foot shallow graves that all the children had to dig over the years, Mark. So he was planning this. Yeah. They were told to dig up the earth and it would be for an outhouse. I'm sure it would never cross their mind that this would be for their own dead bodies. I don't think it crossed anybody's mind. 
Like they probably thinks just, of this. They probably just thought their father needs us to do some work in the yard. I can't stand this guy. Yeah. He sounds like, an, he, well, he is a loser. It doesn't sound like one he is. Simmons would then just quietly wait for the rest of the children to return home. When the rest of the family arrived home, their father would tell them that he had gifts for each of them. Oh my God. But he wanted to give them their gifts one at a time. Gross. The four remaining children were Loretta, Eddie, Marianne, and Becky. They were all killed in the same way, one by one. They were strangled and their heads were held underwater in a rain barrel until they drowned to death. So these were not quick murders. What the F is wrong with this guy? These were torturous, horrible, slow deaths. This is... Horrific. This now brings us to December 26th in the middle of the day. Simmons again would sit patiently and wait for the remaining family members to come over for a Christmas visit. His son, Billy, and his wife, Renata, were the first to arrive to the home. Their son, Trey, was strangled and drowned like the others, while Billy and Renata were shot to death. Next up, his own child by his very own daughter, Sylvia Gale, was strangled along with his grandson, Michael. Wow. Gross. Yeah. This guy, talk about evil. This is the epitome of evil. Yep. The bodies of Simmons' two grandsons were wrapped in plastic and left in an abandoned car on the property. Everyone else's bodies were covered with coats, except his daughter, Sheila. You know, the one that gave birth to his daughter. Her body was covered in the finest tablecloth the family had. Gross. This guy's sick. Yep. After doing all this, where do you think Simmons went? I hope he went to H-E double hockey sticks. Oh, no. He went to the local bar because he needed some beers. What a scumbag. Yeah. He went to the local bar, had some beers with some friends, and then he would come home and continue drinking beer while he watched TV, all while his dead family was laying around him. Wow. Yeah. The next morning would be December 28th, the day he turned himself in after his 45-minute shooting spree. So This, this is went, unbelievable. This went on for, I'm like, I just don't understand. You're going to watch TV while you're, the people you murdered are just laying around you. They're not just people. They're your family, they're too. They're your family. I can't believe the planning and forethought that went into this because you're sitting there saying that he had them dig their own graves. Yep. This is Wow. Yep. This is one sick guy. Sure is. Simmons was charged with 16 counts of murder and sentenced to the death penalty. Here is a statement he made about his sentence. I, Ronald Gene Simmons, want it to be known that it is my desire that absolutely no action by anyone be taken to appeal or in any way change the sentence. It is further respectfully requested that this sentence be carried out expeditiously. Simmons had to be separated by other death row inmates, Mark, as they thought he was ruining their chances at appeal. So because he was so for his death penalty, he wanted to die. They were like, dude. <laughs> We don't want to die. and We don't want you around us. You're ruined. So they had to separate him because they wanted to kill him. Good. Yeah. They should have. I wish that had happened. I'm sorry to say that, but that would have I'm been, not sorry. Because the way, well, let me go on and you can hear the way he died. On May 31st, 1990, Bill Clinton, Arkansas governor at the time, signed Simmons' execution warrant. And on June 25th, 1990, he would die of lethal injection. Good for him. Good for him. But that's not, to me, that's not. No. Should have been firing squad. Should have been something. Something other than, I don't know. That seems too peaceful for what he did, is my point. I agree. The reason for these horrible killings has never been truly revealed. Some say it was because his wife finally told him she was going to divorce him. Right before the murders, Becky had written a note to her son. She says, I don't want to live the rest of my life with dad. I'm a prisoner here and the kids too. Every time I think of freedom, I want out as soon as possible. That's sad. That's sad. And that small little tidbit, as I say, describes the kind of torture she was going through on a day-to-day oh, basis. Oh, I, I believe it. I mean, for her to send that to her son, clearly. That takes a lot. It's just so sad. Other people have said he was in love with his daughter, Sheila, who left home to get married. Huh. Oh, God forbid 
<sighs> your own daughter finds love and goes off to get married after what her own father did. To he, him. He's jealous that his daughter. Yeah. Gross. And also because he faced rejection from the secretary, he killed at the law firm during his spree. Okay. So I knew there had to be a reason why he went after her. My God, who knows? All we know is that this was an unspeakable act. So there's no reason. Yeah. I mean, is there really any reason? I was just going to say, is there a reason anytime anybody kills anybody that could be justified? No. no. No, but this one is these these three cases especially are just so sad because they all involve family. Yeah. At Christmas time. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. It sure is. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> there, there's your weekly dose of murder right before we go on to the Christmas holiday. <laughs> I know. It's so horrible. But these stories didn't need to get out, just like we always say. Yep. These poor people lost their lives. So I think these stories need to be put out there. I agree with you. As we always have said. So I actually have a list of all the victims. Okay. I think we should read. So Gene Simmons, he died by handgun. Rebecca Simmons died by handgun. Barbara Simmons, strangulation. Loretta Simmons, strangulation. Eddie Simmons, strangulation. Mary Ann Simmons, strangulation. Becky Simmons, strangulation. Billy Simmons, handgun. Renata Simmons, handgun. Trey Simmons, drowning. Sheila McNulty, handgun. Dennis McNulty, handgun. Sylvia Gale Simmons, strangulation. Michael Simmons, strangulation. Kathy Kendrick, handgun. And J.D. Chaffin, handgun. Unbelievable. That was a reign of terror. Oh, it 100% was. Horrible. Unbelievable. I can't, None of these cases I had ever heard of either. Me neither. I just, and these aren't just like little small murders. These are, oh, wow. Yeah. These yeah. are the whole shebang. It sure is. All right, guys, make sure you go ahead and visit our website for links to all of our merch and stickers. Plus, you can also join the exclusive Crime Creep Club by clicking the Buy Us a Coffee tab. All that and more www.casewatchpodcast.com.com. And until next episode, we'll see you later, guys. Bye, guys. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.